Welcome. Welcome to the Cooperative Bank Podcast. Hello, my name is Alima Adirimi. Thank you very much for joining us for part three of our discussion on Black Lives Matter. If you haven't done so already, please listen to part one and two of this series on your usual streaming app. So on today's episode, I'm joined by three members of the Bank's Reach Network, which is the network that focuses on encouraging ethnic diversity and having positive conversations about race. So if you listen to part two of the series, you'll notice that we had an all-female guest. So to contrast that, today we have an all-male lineup and to hopefully get a different perspective. So without further ado, I'm just going to get everyone to introduce themselves and I'll start with Connor. Hey everyone, so I'm Connor. I'm a black male. I've worked in the bank for maybe just gone three years now and I'm a regulatory reporting specialist. Perfect, thank you so much. And up next is Cole. Hi everyone, uh, my name's Cole. I work for the Court Bank. My role is an SEO lead within a digital department. My ethnicity is to identify as black African with Nigerian parents. Great, thank you. I'm Nigerian as well for our listeners, so we've got two Nigerians here today. And last but not least, we've got Femi here. Hi, hi all. My name is Femi Salako, a customer service leader. I've been with the bank now just a few weeks short of five years. And I identify as a black male of Nigerian background as well as it happens. Great. So I'm really looking forward to having today's conversation with you all. And I don't know if everyone's had the chance to read this, but earlier on in the week, the government published a report on black people, racism and human rights. And um, I really do urge our listeners to read the summary, at least. But one thing that really stuck out to me was the NHS actually acknowledged that black women's death rate is five times that of white women when it comes to childbirth. And they, they actually have no target to end it, as ridiculous as that sounds. But... As a young black woman, that really, and I look to, you know, hopefully have children one day, that really quite upset me and generally scared me a little bit to feel a bit like, so the NHS is aware of this issue, but there's nothing that they can do to fix it, or they don't have any plans to fix it. And I just wanted to know from your perspective, and I'll probably start with Connor on this one, what, can you just sum up in a few words what your experience has been in England as a black man? Yeah, I guess it's quite a complex question, and obviously having only ever been black, it's difficult to kind of assert how my experience would be different from uh, anybody else's. But obviously, yeah. uh, growing up in a predominantly white northern town, uh, the contrast is quite stark. And I feel like, for me, the main feature would be kind of feeling somewhat uh, alienated. And I guess, obviously, as you've all mentioned, you're of a Nigerian heritage. I'm myself from a Jamaican heritage, but grew up with the white side uh, of my family. So... For me, I think it's a slightly different situation, although obviously I still do identify as black. I have a lot more of a sort of closer proximity to the white side of my heritage as well. And I think um, I've kind of felt a distinct sort of otherness in contrast to um, white people, despite having half of my heritage been white. So I think for me, the main the main sort of feeling would be uh, one of um, a sort of subtle but uh, definitely like a sort of distinct alienation from my uh, my peers, I would say. And would you say, do you also feel alienated from the black side of your family as well somewhat because of your white heritage? Not as much. I feel like from an identity perspective, I've always sort of um, had a greater sort of affinity or affiliation with uh, the black side of my family just because I feel like there's a sort of consistency of not necessarily struggle, but 
there's a, there's a sort of difference that we share, and that sort of creates almost like a more uh, special bond, especially with my siblings who are also uh, mixed race. So those connections are quite unique in terms of our experiences being very similar, all growing up in predominantly white areas um, and having that sort of otherness, whether it be an otherness that I have from a male perspective or my sister, who's a very similar age to me, obviously she has the female perspective who can kind of share our experiences and there's some overlap and we can learn from each other. But I would say on, on the whole, I've always felt a lot closer to the black people despite growing up in a white household. And I think that in itself kind of says something about society that we, we sort of live in. And the fact that I think a lot of the time um, black people are marginalised and within that marginalisation, I think a community is often often formed and I feel like I'm very much a part of that community. Um, and that's something that I think is a great sort of advantage and something that I'm sort of proud of. Yeah, and I think what, what one thing that you mentioned there was that I find really interesting is that the struggle somehow bonds us. So within the negative, mm. we might have to find some kind of positive. And I think that transcends, yes, I'm African and, you know, you've got Jamaican heritage, but in the, we're all black at the end of the day. And I think because we're all black, when, I don't know, if a racist person was to see us, they don't really care that I'm from Africa and you're from the Caribbean. Black is just black to them. So in a way, there's a bit of beauty in like the black community. And I think the ethnic community generally, we can, you know, in a nice way, bond together, kind of trauma bonding, which is a bit crazy, isn't it? But but there's a bit of positive in there. No, that's really interesting. Thank you very much for that. Um, what's your experience been like as a as a black man in England, Femi? Um, I think I think it's it's been I will use that word complex as well. And before I actually respond to that, I just wanted to um just make a couple of observations around this report that you referenced at the very beginning. Um, yeah. I think what I found most interesting, really, just just drilling into that report, is the fact that the, the issues of this racial inequality have actually been the subject of repeated reviews. That wasn't the first one, um, and I think it's really frustrating that we've had that lack of progress in implementing the findings of of, of previous reviews. You know, and and the fact that you know we're having these repeated reviews without actually. Um, taking the actions that have been recommended by the previous, um, you know, um, uh, activities relating to that. So I think it's, it's been, uh, for me, it's been, um, my experience has been, um, I think it's been diverse, really. I think I have, um, I, I, I do tend to look at it from three points of view. I think I, I see myself as being generally, I think, affirming the, the, the value of um, really working hard. I think I, I see the, the the appreciation that I have really for for the opportunities that I've had is is a recognition really for me that not everybody has has had those 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 things open to them. I think the cultural, the nature of, of the, the black culture uh, is, is such that you often see yourself as being a victim and as as being restricted in the opportunities available to you. And, and my experience has been slightly different. I, I think it's, it's been a positive experience for me. I've, I've had doors open um, in places that I haven't expected, but that's possibly been just my approach to it. I've had a particularly positive approach, you know, to life. And my view has always been going about looking to shatter 
villain um, and really almost same the the racial um, stereotype more as a challenge really uh, rather than than as a as a blocker. So I think my own view has been my own experience has been a very positive one. So would you say you use the negativity and you kind of use that to encourage you to you know to continue to push beyond boundaries and push beyond people's perception of you? Is that what you've done? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I think I have. I have. I, I, it is difficult sometimes because you you can you can't be what you don't see. So the fact that you don't see people in say um, high positions of authority or senior management sometimes could be seen as as restrictive. I actually see it slightly differently in that the fact that I don't see many people in those positions of authority is more actually uh, a real um, uh, motivation for me um, to, to, to break that feeling and to be an example uh, that it can be done. So in some ways, rather than being something that restricts, um, that has been uh, a galvanizing force in my life. No, that's, that's really motivating. I think especially for the younger listeners and the younger generation, that's a really nice positive takeaway from things actually because yeah, you might not see someone in the position that you might you want to be in, but Obama was the first black president of the United States. So Absolutely, yeah. like that phrase of yes you can is is really positive. Um and just coming to yourself, Cole, what's been your just in three words or shortly, what can, can you sum up what your experience has been and what your take has been? Yeah, sure. Well firstly, I mean I'd like to you know appreciate that both guys have just gone before me. Um, in particular, Connor, I really appreciate um, his point of view, especially with his um, ethnic diversity in his household. But for me, I think it's it's also complex. So being black, both black parents and all that kind of stuff, I've had positive influences by seeing them rise through their adversity from when they first got here. But their role model would have been positive because they saw positive things in their own lives growing up in Nigeria. So... They, I guess, um, they would instill that strength to try and persevere and push through and always believe that if you worked hard, you did the right things, you'd reap the right rewards. However, I did find that was a challenge in the real world because, you know, there's been times where you'd approach a situation and the first thing they'd see would just be me before they'd got to know me. And I'd have to overcome that before I can get anywhere else. And I think that's a challenge in itself. So without trying to labour too much on it, I just think um, both guys have good points of view. I do believe that, you know, your attitude is a, is a big part. The way you push through, the way you push forward, the way you approach things is very important. But you can't ignore the fact that there's always preconceived views of a black male yeah. before he even has an attempt. The expectation is you're great at sport, you got some good dance moves, I like to touch your hair, all that usual stuff. Yeah. Um, forgetting the fact that, you know, how intelligent a person can be because and, and be surprised when you hear words come out of someone's mouth or, or a particular accent that doesn't sound like you're from the streets or something like that. So it's all, it's all no, those kind of things, really. Yeah, but, no, and I think that's a great segue to my next question, really, because I was reading, I was doing some reading um, the other night and I was looking at, like, the mental health of black boys, it tends to decline after the age of 11, um, which is roughly when they start secondary school. And, you know, there's a lot of inequality 
in, in race in general in our education system. I think in England, in America, in a lot of countries all around the world, but even more so when we then break it down between black boys and black girls. I just, if you're, if you're able to do so, can you just give our listeners a bit of your experience of the educational system in England and some of the stereotypes you've had to battle with? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll try to keep it brief again. So <clears throat> growing up here, quite fortunate to live in a pretty good area, um, is majority white. Um, as a result, I ended up going to some uh, a good school, but that was frowned upon by some parents and by some people in that school. And as a result, the attitude towards me was quite negative. Um, the better I did, the more, the worse it got for me. So the better my grades got, the better I did at sport, it, it got, the experience got worse. So that threat of expulsion and all that kind of stuff, my parents, well, I, I approached my parents and said, pretty much I'd like to be somewhere else where I can be appreciated for me and my efforts um, and not differentiated because of the way I look. Um, they were taken aback by that and gave me the option of, going to Nigeria at a, at a school that a friend of the family is already at, um, who left here, and their kids did the same, and they're thriving. So I did that, um, went to Nigerian boarding school, and I found it pretty challenging because, surprisingly, their level of education was actually f- further advanced, so you were a, a class yeah. or two ahead. So um, the discipline is really is really strict, and the sense of achievement and competition is really high, so everybody's fighting to be top dog. It was it was really a different experience, but it, it changed my perspective on life. It brought me when I came back, I was a different person. I was more driven, even though I was quite driven before I left. Um, I had a sense of identity. I knew who I was. I've seen people who looked like me being very very successful in very high positions. Um, people in my family as well who I could relate to who were doing very well. So I came back and had a, a stronger sense of who I was and who my ancestors were and you know, what capabilities I had and, and how, and I guess I used that similar to what Femi said to overcome any of the negativities because I could look back and say, look, I know who I am and what I am despite what other people say and how I'm made to feel. It didn't make it any easier. It didn't meant it hurt any less, but it meant that, um, you know, at a young age, I recognized that from primary school to early secondary school that I wasn't appreciated and um, I was fortunate to have my family and a, as Connor put it, a black community that was forced out of diversity and the fact that we needed to be together because if we weren't, we'd be in trouble, pretty much. So uh, having that and having those people around me made it more manageable, but spoke positivity into a negative circumstance. So when you're at that age, it can really change your life because when I look back at some of the people of that age, who started off really well and where they've ended up now or the difficulties they've had to get back on the path that their parents hoped for them, it was challenging. And I was fortunate to, fortunate to escape that by having the parents I had and the opportunity that was put before me. I feel it's still reaping rewards now. No, of course. And I think that's a, it's a really touching story. Um, I have a younger brother that's in university now, but when he was in secondary school, he also... He also has to, he was one of the very few uh, people of colour in his school and he also has to battle a lot of negative stereotypes. He's really good at football, but he's no Ronaldo. So I think they were always trying to push him in, you know, just do sports, just do sports. And my dad has to, you know, put his foot down and say, no, my son can be multifaceted just like other children. And he can be great in history and great in English and also great in sports. And 
I think that's a really good point that you, I, I think it's really great that you had the opportunity to go to Nigeria, you know, come back and be, be motivated and energised and you had a great family support, but unfortunately not a lot of children have that opportunity or have that kind of family, familiar background to motivate them and push them. Um, what was your experience like in school, Connor? Did you have any adversity just to face through or was it relatively straightforward for you? Again, I think like with all these um, answers, it's quite quite a complex one. Um, and I guess for me, it's something that uh, still to this day I'm kind of uh, unpicking. I think um, I had a conversation with Cole actually not that long ago around obviously almost being inspired by the fact that he had the, the will and the motivation to kind of take himself out of the UK educational system and say, I'm going to go somewhere else because this isn't working for me. I guess for me, when I was a child, again, growing up with my uh, white side of my family and when I was in primary school and most of secondary school, I wasn't really that much in touch with the black side of my family. So um, for me, there was nowhere for me to go. It was it was basically a case of, you know, stick it out and this is this is just is what it is. So yeah. I would definitely say there was there was problems for me in terms of I just thought that racism was normal. Like being racially discriminated against was something that I kind of got used to and kind of had to make the decision, you know, do I have friends or do I completely isolate myself? Because I can honestly say that the people who I, you know, everybody who I was friends with at that age had been racist to me at one point or another. But because I was in a white school, there was no choice. It was kind of, this is a part of our friendship. We will single you out. We will make you feel uncomfortable and you are smarter than me or you're more physically capable than I am then I will let you know that you're black. So no matter what, you know what I mean? It's, that is what it is. Um, that is very scary. Think, when you were friends with think, people, did you, did you know they were being racist to you and did you just like take it on the chin? Or, or were you not aware? I think I was aware of the fact they were being racist to me, but I wasn't aware of the fact that there were people who would not be racist to you. And I think that's, that's a sad thing when I look back on it. Obviously, I've got a completely different set of friends now and a completely different social... Uh, situation. I'm a lot closer, as yeah. I said, to like my siblings and things like that, and that's helped me get past it. But for me, again, like Femi said, I think it just gives me that extra motivation. But I think, in a way, that's negative in itself because I think it's the same as saying, sort of, not that we need to be beaten down, but sort of being the underdog makes us want to fight more, or like having the sandbags on our feet at the beginning of the race makes us want to run faster. But I think there's a lot of people who just give up because they're not, for example, as motivated as potentially we are. And there's a lot of people who get left behind because they don't have that ability or that motivation to say, you know what, there's, a, there's you know, these people are running a 100-year sprint, whereas we've got to do the hurdles and we're willing to jump over the hurdles and we'll benefit from it. Whereas some people think they can't get over the hurdle and a lot of people get uh, sort of left behind because of that. Um, and I think for me, going to secondary school and having those sort of experiences and feeling alienated and even by teachers a lot of teachers said to me when I said I wanted to to be a certain uh you know I wanted to be an parent and I want to be in the police they said to me either it wasn't possible or they would say that I would be able to do it but the only reason why I'd be able to do it was because oh they need black people in the police or they need more black accounts so it wasn't because you're academically it's capable it's yeah. it's more because you know you can be the token person now which is quite demotivating as well so um, for me, it wasn't necessarily an overall negative experience. You know, I kind of knew my place at school and I 
grew into it and I was accustomed to it. And I didn't really have a choice, but it was a very complicated time. Quite, um, I wouldn't use the word negative, but like I say, a very, very confusing time for me as, as a black person. And I think it's kind of just the epitome of what it is like to be black in the UK. It's very complicated. It's very sort of subtle discrimination that takes place from not just people on the schoolyard, but the people who are in the positions of power as well, i.e. the teachers. And I think we're still in a phase now of trying to unpick all of that systemic sort of discrimination that takes place. And I think it's really important that we, you know, have conversations like this just to sort of highlight the fact that these things do happen. And yeah. it's quite, um, you know, it's quite deep-rooted, these issues, I think. No, and no, I'd, I'd like to, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I'd like to share an anecdote really linked to the point that Connell's just made, if I may. I, I went to university in Russia, and I still remember one of my vivid memories from my, my time there was an excursion to a place called Belgorod, just outside of Moscow. And um, we went into the rural areas and, you know, came into contact with this kind of older, older lady, probably somewhere in the mid-60s, you know, who came in offering us fruits, you know, apples, bananas, and really, really lovely lady. But just before we left, I, I still recall she approached me and said, may she kind of just touch me and rub my my um my arms and I said yeah yes that's fine and she she just rubbed it vigorously for about two or three seconds it can't be it can't have been much more than that and then I asked her why she did that why have you have you just done that and she said to me that's because that all she'd heard bearing in mind at the time and I'm talking in the mid 90s I'm showing my age, age a little bit here um, <laughs> that all she'd heard about black people was that we are black because we don't have a shower. You know, you don't actually have a bath, you don't, that's why. And um, she looked at her hand and there was nothing. And I said, you give me your hand, let me do the same. And I did exactly the same. And the irony of it was that the death on my hand was significantly more than what she could get from mine. So the, the point in, in telling that anecdote is, is really because sometimes you need to decide when you come across what you perceive as discrimination, making a distinction between is this actually ignorance the fact that they, they genuinely do not know uh, the difference, or is this supposed to be uh, discrimination and a way of actually putting you down as a black person? And that really is the story of my own uh, experience um, in, in different parts uh, of my educational um, history. Thank you so much for sharing that. No, that was really interesting. Um, and I think you're right. I, I have, I've had people tell me that my natural hair feels like carpet. And in that moment, I realized that the person wasn't saying it to genuinely offend me or to make me feel bad or to be racist. They just, in their head, that texture just reminds them of carpet. And I have to tell them that that's not necessarily a positive thing to tell someone. And I think there's a bit of learning that needs to take place. And there's a lot of ignorance, but it's not always ignorance. And I think sometimes people are just genuinely bad-minded and they're genuinely out here to, you know, upset you, like Connor said, his classmates in school, it was, they would then, it was like their own insecurity was like they weren't good enough in sports or they weren't good enough in class. So let me pick on you. And the only thing I can pick on you from is that the fact that you're different to me and you're a different race to me. Um, but no, that's a really good point. And just moving on, because I'm sure we could talk forever and ever about these topics, but moving on from school to workplace, I wanted to know if there's been any, any opportunity, any chance that you felt that you had to dress a certain way or talk a certain way or, have you ever second, second guess how you express yourself out of fear of people misjudging you in the workplace? 
Yeah, so in terms of dress code and things like that, it's, it's always been quite important to make an effort. I've always felt that, well, not always felt, I can give you a perfect example. So a lot of my colleagues when I used to work in an agency environment, um, so in a marketing agency, would dress down, they wear jeans, wear trainers, um, I only wear shirts for meetings. From day one, I made a point of differentiating my workwear from my non-workwear. So I'd wear um, shirts, chinos, and and relatively smart casual shoes. So I always looked like I was going to work, um, and I was at work. And then the one time I did um, dress down a little bit and compared to how I usually dress, everybody in the office, and I'm, I'm not even exaggerating, were, were making a comment on, oh, you know, you could dress down today. Oh, you know, you you know, you've done something different. Um, and it's because I was literally the only person who looks like me in the office. I was the only black male in the office. So anything I did stood out. Um, moving fast forward to working at the bank, I do make a, an effort to make sure I am relatively smart. So uh, make sure everything is put together the best way I can. Um, and again, it's just not to stand out or give the wrong impression because I don't want people to have the wrong impression of me, whether they know me or not. Um, I often find on my commute into work, you know, I'm not sure, I, I speak with other people and they've experienced the same things where despite how smartly I dress, um, I've had people hold their handbags when they walk past me, all kinds of show, shows of un being uncomfortable, uh, especially if it's like a quiet area and there's only a few of us there, or, but even when it's not, it's just the first reaction of, they, they may look up, you know, usually people walking on, on their phones, not paying attention, and they look up first and he sees you, grab the bag, move to the side. And it's just, and I just feel that um, in certain circumstances, it doesn't matter how you dress, the stereotype is there. But when you're in the actual work environment, once you're in the office, I feel it does have an impact because of how, you, how seriously you're taken, how people may look at you, and, you know, it seems like it's definitely something people notice. Because when I, in my previous yeah. role, when I hadn't dressed a certain way, it was picked up on, and, you know, everyone made a big deal out of it. So I just think, I think there's something definitely there. Just to be the devil's advocate a little bit, do you think dressing smart is just, you know, it transcends race, so everyone has to dress smart and dress presentable in the workplace. So do you think that's more because of the nature of a workplace environment, or do you still think that, you know, your race played a part in you going a bit more casual on that day? So definitely, I, I've always, so I was brought up, I mean, the way my dad was and everything, he always wore a vest and everything, you know, he's always very smart and very well turned out. Um, and so that for me, as a role model, has always been what I've seen when you go to work, when you're not going to work, you always try to be presentable. Yeah. Um, in the workplace itself, I was always, my, my workplace environment has always been, you know, shirts, trousers, shoes, tie. Um, in, in the agency, no one ever wore a tie. When I wore a tie, everyone made a big deal out of it, so I stopped wearing yeah. the tie unless I went to client meetings. If I wasn't a client, I'd, I'd wear a tie, sometimes wear a suit if I thought it was appropriate. Um, most people would just wear shirts, um, T-shirts, jeans, and maybe like, you know, some casual trainers. That was the, the general thing. And the more mature people might wear a shirt, but be like a smart casual shirt. I used to try and make it a bit more formal, where like a, I don't want to name drop the brand here, but like a T.M. Lewin type shirt. Yeah. Some, chinos, <laughs> some chinos. 
and you know yeah. just some just some shoes that just so I look like I am in the workplace. It, it's also a mentality thing. I'm dressed for work, so I, I'm here to work, and and that, that was for me. But it was just um, you know one of my one of my bosses was talking about being more involved within the, in the rest of the team. So I took it upon myself to maybe if I dress down a bit and be a bit less formal, then maybe, you know, that will help with the inter- integration. Yeah. So I did that, and the reaction made me realise that, regardless of that, I mean, first of all, I shouldn't be trying to force myself to integrate in that way. It's integration yeah. enough that I'm integrating because I'm involved in the community, so that's integration. But having to change yourself to fit in is the wrong kind of integration, so I just went back to being me. Yeah, of course. And, yeah, and that works fine for me. But it's one of when you try to, and I think it goes for everyone, if you try and fit into something that's just not right for you, it, it will cause you an issue. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think you should always dress appropriately. But I just think, you know, when you're singled out for being different and then you have a natural difference, it makes it even more apparent and it makes you feel even more uncomfortable. If my other colleagues who made changes and no one picked on that, you know, if they picked on that as well, then I wouldn't feel the way I felt about it. And I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And what's your experience been like, Connor? Is yours been quite similar? Did you feel like going to interviews you have to dress extra, extra smart to, you know, not not let people have these negative stereotypes of black men in the back of their mind? Or have you always just been yourself and no one's ever made you feel otherwise? I think it's it's quite funny for me uh, in terms of interviews because I guess probably different to Cole and Femi and, and even yourself, like I have got what you would call like a quote-unquote white name. So I think yeah. the element that's interesting there for me is when I turn up, I can always tell how shocked the, the interviewer is to see that I'm a black person. And I guess I after having my first interviews when I was in university trying to do placements and stuff, I've got quite a lot of experience. So I guess as um, I've progressed and I kind of did more graduate interviews and things like that, I had to take into consideration the fact that people will be shocked. And I've even been told retrospectively after I got my first job um, how shocked somebody was that I was black. And then they almost turned around to me and said, oh, I took so much pride in like employing you as like the first black person into the role, which again is like almost like a backwards compliment because again it's almost like saying they wanted to employ the first black person. They didn't necessarily look past that. It more makes them look like they're sort of pushing racial equality. Yeah. Um, yeah. As opposed to the fact that I felt like I was the best candidate there. So it kind of puts a bit of a smudge on the, um, on the accolade. But I guess in terms of dressing smart, I'm, I'm very similar to Cole in terms of my mentality. Like, um, I quite like to wear a tie and things like that in the office just to kind of go the extra miles to not uh, draw any... In a way, it does draw attention to you, but it takes away that potential negative attention that would be you're dressing unsmart um, or too casually, and then they associate that to the fact that black people are usually sort of stereotypically wearing tracksuits or whatever, and I don't really have a problem with that at all. Uh, especially when, you know, I'm at home and I'm doing my own thing. But I think, again, seconding what Cole said, I think wearing the more sort of smart attire still doesn't take away from the fact that you are seen as black. Like, then for me, a prime example of that would be just taking my walk to and from work. On more than three, four occasions, I'm walking home with a full suit on. 
and people still approach me in the street and ask me if I want to buy drugs off them because I live in town. Oh my God. And I think, and I think that's something where it's like, that, that doesn't happen to people who are not black, I don't think. And it doesn't really happen to many black people, but to me, I think because I'm quite tall, I don't know what it is, but people ask me if I want to buy drugs off them. Um, and it's similar, I know this is slightly different, not topic, but if I go on a night out, which I don't often do anymore, obviously not now given the current <laughs> circumstances, but even years ago when I would go on nights out, people would come to me and my friends, especially if I was with other black people, and ask us if we were selling drugs. You know, and this is a com- common thing, right? And I think it's just these ideas that people have, they sort of push onto you and it's just kind of, it's kind of quite reductive in terms of how you see yourself because you think no matter what I do, the perception is always going to be these sort of diluted things and it can almost, almost create a paradox where you think, well, what is the point in pushing past these when in the collective conscious you're never going to get past this idea of a stereotypical black person and I think for me again it doesn't necessarily uh, negatively affect me because I always want to work past that but then I'm always constantly reminded of the fact that you are black and this is what we think black people are and Mm -hmm. for me it it can just be quite it can be quite frustrating I'd say of course of course and I think it's like you're put in a box before you're even met so I've always whenever I've gone to interviews I think people expect a black girl so when I turn up there's no shock element but if I was to turn up and someone was shocked at, you know, how I present, I think that would kind of put me off for the rest of the interview, to be honest. Um, but no, that's a really interesting point. Thank you so much for sharing that. And coming to you, Femi, as, as a father, um, what are, like, some of the lessons that you pass on to your children um, about being black or about having black heritage? Yeah, I mean, I suppose from, from that point of view, you could describe me as a typical black father. Um, in that some of the things I'm about to say shouldn't be a surprise um, to call and Connor out on that part. I, I think the first one is, is, is one that most black fathers tend to, to face, especially their, their, their boys, really, is around kind of know and love who you are. So I think, I believe that's the first step to gain confidence and being comfortable in your own skin. And really kind of understanding your history, culture, challenges, both you know, around the, your racial group in general, but also your family in particular uh, that have overcome over, over the past. A favorite saying of, of a lot of African parents um, or parents of Afro-Caribbean origin, especially Nigerian parents, is remember the child of whom you are, which is a popular euphemism for passing on uh, this message, the message around actually knowing and loving who you are and understanding really there's a kind of challenges that, that that those before you have come through so i suppose essentially around that point being authentic and not pretending you know to be who you're not you know and always finding one of my favorite things is choosing love over hate you know in situations where you're faced with with that choice you know it might seem an obvious one but it's, it's not the case for everybody you know always finding a way to choose love so that's usually the first one for me the second one is around um, understanding and learning how to beat the odds. Now, I mean, I, I like to use this as a general point um, and giving specifics around, look, you know, when you're born black, uh, especially in, in a white dominant um, society, unfortunately, there are some inherent disadvantages um, that you can only overcome by things like by the power of education, for instance. And I'm not necessarily referring only to academic education, I'm talking about just being educated as a person, making sure you're informed, 
you know, um, things like the hard work and, and having, a, having that strong work ethic. I, I always say to my children that you, you will probably need to work harder and be more dedicated than your peers to achieve the same level of success. And that's, that's something I always believe. You know, I, I, I probably, I, you know, I, I will say do many more hours than probably my peers. And that's not, that's not necessarily a reflection on them. But I feel that I just have to do a lot more probably to, to stay in the same place or, or to be able to, to be as successful really as, as, as my peers. Um, and then the third thing that I tend to talk about in relation to, to beating the odds is around of recognizing the environmental risk, you know, that we, we often come across. And an example I often cite to my kids is, you know, you're much more likely, for instance, to be stopped by, by, by the police for a benign reason. You know, I think the last, I remember reading the last report, I think it was an Omofis report that was released in 2018, you know, which said that you're 40 times more likely to be stopped by police. Five times more likely to have force used against you. Eleven times more likely to have firearms used. Six times more likely to be handcuffed. So those are, are pretty facts, you know, stuff that tell, that tell you really that you need to be aware of your environment. And my, my message, particularly again to my son, because the, 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 the boy tends to bear the brunt, um, of, of, of this, um, disproportionate. Yeah. Risk. Um, it's, it's that if you stop, just keep your, your hands on the steering wheel and follow police orders. I do accept that not all police are bad, but better to be safe than sorry. You know, so that's usually my stare to them. And then the final thing I say really is around, you know what, you need to pick your battles. You know, you're bound to come across negative experiences. And I talked about that earlier on and, and often look for the, the glass half full interpretation. Uh, of my experiences, um, and, and those may remind you of ongoing racial inequalities. I think it's really important that you use that as a source of motivation rather than a trigger. And you might have found a recurrent theme in a lot of the things I've said today. I just choose to be positive. That's a choice. You know, that, that I could look at a lot of those things and, and, and present those things from a negative perspective, but I do choose to have a positive outlook you know, on, on that. Um, and, and that's really uh, something I remind my children of. You're no victim. Go out there and get what you want to get. You know, work hard and success will be yours. Oh, that was amazing. Oh, that was really good. No, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, you know, it seems like you're, you're bringing up really positive and hardworking children. And, and hopefully they don't have to, you know, use the, some of the tools you've taught them about the police and things like that. They never have to face that. But... One thing that I really resonate with is you have to work twice as hard to be half as good or to get half what they have. And that's one thing that we've always been taught, um, been brought up by our parents as well um, yeah. in our home is that, you know, you have to go to school, you have to get your master's and you have to do twice the hard work. And as unfortunate as it is, I think that is what put me in my position today. But hopefully when I go on to our children and our future generations, they don't feel that they have to you know, do double the hard work just to get what their peers get for half as much. But, yeah, no, I think we could probably talk forever and ever. But just to close out the po- um, the podcast with some positivity, because I think often when we talk about black pride, it's always quite negative. And I, I, I find a lot of joy in being a black woman. Um, I love our music. I love our food. 
I think we've got amazing sense of humour. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to ask each of you, what is one positive thing or one of your favourite things about being a person of colour? And I'll start with Cole. Ooh, I mean, off the, off the last topic, I guess there's loads of things I like to say. But um, if we keep into this topic, um, I love the fact that, um, yeah, the, the food's a, a great thing. Because I remember um, growing up, that uh, being in a Nigerian household especially, every Sunday my mum always used to cook large amounts of, of everything. And it was under the impression that if anyone drops in, anyone can eat with us because it was something that she grew up doing back home. And it's just the yeah. whole sense of being welcoming, the sense of community, um, always having an opportunity to, to welcome people into your home and let them experience with you wherever they're from. And it was, and I think um, just that sense of community and, and love and generosity is something that I've always found, especially growing up um, in, in that household, in that particular generation, I find. Um, I'd like to see more of it now, but I know, you know, life's very different now compared to what it used to be, but, you know, that was something I really, really found value in, and I want to push forward into my family as well. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. That sense of community is definitely there, and I think that is a big deal of our culture, and you, overcooking is always okay, because then you have great leftovers. But yeah, what's one of your favourite things, Connor? Yeah, I think this is a super, super difficult, difficult question, but... I was going to go for the obvious one. I think obviously Cole touched upon it. This sort of idea and sense of uh, a wider community wherever you go. It was a few years ago now, but I've ventured, before I started the bank, I ventured over to, to Japan just because I kind of love the culture. I love sort of anime. I like a lot of their food and just sort of like the the contrast in, in sort of Eastern culture where the respect is a really sort of big feature and, you know, silence is really sort of appreciated and things like that. And I remember... It was the place where I'd seen literally the least um, black people ever. But every single black person that I saw, I stopped to have a conversation with no matter where they were from. We sort of like nodded to each other. And it was that idea that no matter where you are, you've almost got this sort of like underground support network. And for me, that's something that really sort of ground into me, especially considering the fact, like I said, sometimes it can be quite alienating. In the UK, it's interesting that I could almost feel some, in some ways, more at home on the other side of the world but yeah and then I kind of go into the fact that I think that stems into a lot of like the music so a lot of music that black people make I sort of really really sort of sort of resonates with me whether it's sort of like more like sort of communal music with sort of like reggae or even like um, sort of like grind music and things like that I think it's kind of just like a testament to how black people often can make beauty out of the struggle and kind of turn these things you know, into sort of art. And I think that's, that's quite sort of a powerful thing to see, especially with people like Getta, um and artists, young artists like Dave and kind of really spreading yeah. sort of the message that, you know, being black is not necessarily a negative thing. And it's something that, as Femi said, we can really sort of utilise and work to and finally as to what Cole said, build a community today because I think black people do have less of a community in terms of a tan like, Tangibly, I think we are more separated in the sense that, you know, there's black people from Nigeria, black people from Sudan, all over. And sometimes there can be sort of like a little bit of a, a fraction between us. But I think at the end of the day, like, we have to accept that we are black. And despite our different sort of roots and heritage, even though those things are important, it's also important to overcome that and sort of accept that in a lot of ways we go through the same struggles. And the people who 
do oppress us in whatever way that is. We don't see those differences. So for us to take note of those differences is sometimes detrimental in terms of us actually uniting and accepting each other and kind of accepting our differences and, and kind of working together. So I think the beauty is there, but it could be a lot more strong. But that's something that's really positive to me. No, that's beautiful. And I think that's really well captured. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's all we've got time for today. I've really, really, really enjoyed today's conversation. And I'd like to say thank you so much to Comma, Comna, Cole and Femi for being so open about your experiences and your views. Um, I really hope today's session has encouraged you, our listeners, to continue to do a deep dive on the ongoing issues in our society. As each man has stated, there are complex issues and, you know, we need to face them head on. But yeah, there's a lot of positives in being black and black is beautiful. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast channel and be one of the first to know when new episodes are available. The Cooperative Bank Podcast for people with purpose.